everybody, how you doing? It's Cole Cabana, professional wrestler and professional podcaster. You are not listening to The Art of Wrestling, but you are listening to Behind the Gorilla. What a week it's been. So much to talk about, and so many things we can't talk about. Santa! (laughs) Me and my friend Mark, we're going to stop watching. I'm Mark. And I'm Harris. And we'd like to welcome you to Behind the Gorilla, a podcast where we delve into the wild, wacky, and crazy side of professional wrestling. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Behind the Gorilla. Today, it's me and Harris and a newcomer, Jake. How are you doing? Doing great. Big wrestling fan. Jake and Harris go way back. Been to a bunch of wrestling shows, so we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of stuff today. Mostly, though, we're focusing on NWA Into the Fire pay-per-view that me and Harris went to last night. Um, We're also going to talk about David Arquette's new movie, Mob Town. And Harris apparently has a little bit of uh, some other stuff to to give us as well. I've got a short little topic. It's more of a stocking stuffer than anything else. Perfect. You know, yeah, I knew we had some other stuff going on, and we got one more episode at least before Christmas. So Yeah, we're we're going through uh, Christmas stories, month of December. We'll have one more next week. Should right specify wrestling Christmas stories, not like you yeah, know, not just Christmas. Not stories. the one about the little kid with the glasses. No, 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 no. unfortunately, no, no. <laughs> Much better stories than that, such as Rowdy Roddy Piper acting in a Christmas Carol. Okay, yeah, that, that was yeah, you know, that was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with that one last week. Go check that one out if you haven't listened to it yet. But um, I guess what do you want to start with, Harris? Um, you want to start with. Uh, What's up with David Arquette? Well, I was going to say, should we introduce people to Jake a little bit first? Just because he's just a voice randomly chiming in if you don't know him. I mean, we... From, like, yeah. the side of our listenership that knows Mark and doesn't know me or know Jake. That's true. Just get a little bit... I mean, like, I told him he could be on the show, and the first thing he said was, well, can I make fun of you on the podcast? <laughs> and I told him that's kind of a requirement for our guest stars, because I don't know if you know this. I think you're the second guest star we've ever had. Am I forgetting anybody? Uh... Let's see. We've had my dad. Okay. And oh, that's right to talk about. Yeah. Okay. And then David Arquette, and I think that's it. Right. So no pressure, Jake. The last oh, guest wow. star we had was David Arquette. Yeah, well, I don't think we've had anyone. Oh, my brother chimed in for a second in the yeah, WTW episode. He did not want to be a part of that. It <laughs> no, like he didn't. He it was, was great. I can't believe he even came in there. But. So Jake, I mean, you know, Jake's claim to fame is that he helped me get into wrestling, which is true. Why he did. Mm-hmm. While he was that. getting back into wrestling, so I don't know. You want to like talk about, like tell him who your favorite wrestler is, favorite show, other fond memories you have. I mean, just a little bit of why you're qualified to be on this uh, yeah. very exclusive wrestling podcast. Yeah, because at this point, everyone's going like, "Who is this guy?" We don't we don't need anything else. It was perfect the way it was. So <laughs> explain explain to everyone why you are needed here. Uh, I am needed because. I'm a guy who likes wrestling. There um, we go. That's it. That's I all feel, that's needed. <laughs> I feel I feel like that kind of is what checked you guys off for uh, being qualified. Right. But uh, I mean, True. I guess to talk a little bit about like my experience with wrestling, I was into it a good bit when I was like very young, uh, probably up until I was about eight or nine years old. I really liked uh, Edge and The Undertaker. <sighs> those, those are my two favorites when I was a little kid. And then I didn't really watch a lot of wrestling throughout most of middle school and high school. And then... When I went off to college, like some some good friends of mine from high school, 
like they randomly got into wrestling for the first time when they were like 18 and so i got back into it with them and kind of dragged harrison with me and uh i don't know i, I kind of have an interesting history with like the wrestlers i like i don't tend to like get as into the technically best wrestlers all the time because i have never followed it super duper closely in that regard i tend to just pick people that i like entertain me so i really got into like zach Ryder when i was like 14 yes uh, i was a big fan of him and uh i still think yes. it's a tragedy what what has happened to it him is, over the is. last several years we did a whole episode about it i did a whole episode on uh, the Ryder revolution from 2011 it was, it was a man. magical year man it was a magical year um and i i mean i i really like uh a lot of guys now like a lot of the people um i i loved the shield like when i was first getting back into wrestling like that's when the shield were really starting to like kind of dominate and like had a lot of fun watching them obviously like one of my favorite wrestling memories that i have is watching daniel bryan at wrestlemania 30 like that was around that same time when i was a freshman or sophomore in college and was like really getting back into wrestling and got way behind daniel bryan um now i don't watch as much like week to week uh, right. we because, don't either well, I know I watch AEW every week. I do. I uh, I, I usually it. work Monday nights and and like I work night shifts, so I don't get to watch a lot of evening television. But I, I tune in for pay per views and stuff when I can. And and Harris kind of like keeps me tangentially caught up with things uh, via random text blurbs that he likes to send me about the shows <laughs> that happen. Whenever something really good or really bad happens. Correct. Like I, I get the the way highlights and the way lowlights <laughs> and miss a lot of the in between. So hey, that's the best. That's the best of it, though. Honestly, yeah, like it's it's a it's a pretty good way to follow it. Like I feel like the the more invested you get into wrestling, the more satisfying it can be, but also the more heartbreaking mm -hmm. it can be. True. So while I haven't had any like amazing wrestling memories from the last maybe two or three years, I also haven't really been that mad at it in a while, which is kind <laughs> of an interesting feeling. So yeah, that's me. Awesome. Nice to meet you guys. Not not Mark and Harris, I already met them, but but you guys <laughs> listening. <laughs> All right, well. Now that we know everybody, to be honest, I think that's more than they even know of us. At this point, we never introduce ourselves really. We just kind of, over the course of the past two years, have like you kind peppered of in a few out, things yeah. like here and there. Well, I feel like you know, I feel like we've talked about it more than we let on. Like everybody knows that I got into wrestling the same time Jake got into, right. back into wrestling. He was a big part. Yeah, everyone of that. knows Harris doesn't know anything <clears throat> about wrestling prior to two thousand and like thirteen. I know a lot now. Yeah, but now because I now. do it, you know, on a but weekly it's basis. for the show. It's yeah. educated Harris a lot. It's basically your wrestling school. Yeah. Jake's claim to fame in my mind is that while we were watching Daniel Bryan's like rise to power at the same time, I said something along the lines of, you know, I love how they're integrating what's happening in real life. Like the story is Daniel Bryan's too small. He's not good enough to be champion with the actual storyline, which is Daniel Bryan's too small. He's not interesting. He's not good enough to be champion. I didn't know wrestling could blend real life and, you know, the storyline that way. And Jake said, oh, yeah, if you think that's good, you should watch this. And it was just a YouTube link to the pipe bomb. And that was when I really went one more gear shift into being a wrestling fan. It's still one of the best things I've ever seen. Yeah, you literally have a framed CM Punk picture. Oh, yeah. yeah, I do. There it is. Up that, on the wall. Yeah. So, yeah. It's super bootleg. I got it off Redbubble. <laughs> he never received a dollar for it. Punk, if you're listening, I'll 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 write you he's a check not. sometime. <laughs> yeah, he's not. We might he's blow not. up. You never know. We know, and know. <laughs> we we have a pretty good idea. Um, all right, but anyway, obviously we'll get into a um kind of the behind the scenes look of our experience at Into the Fire and kind of trying to maybe prepare Jake a little bit for the uh, taping tonight. Um, 
But you want to get into Mob Town now, then? This is the What's Up with David Arquette. talk about David Arquette every episode. We have to. He's on the logo. He's the only person who's ever acknowledged us in the wrestling industry. So so far, there we go. He's our patron saint. So he had a movie come out. We had to watch it. We had to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Harris, Mobtown. You want to give us a brief okay. rundown of, I guess, the gist of the movie? Yeah. Or maybe, and actually, I can... No, no, I can no. Re- I... No, here, I can just read the okay. uh, the thing here. Maybe that'll be a little easier, and then we can talk about it. So, this is, according to the little rundown written of it, it's based on the true story of the notorious 1957 mob summit in upstate New York, spearheaded by Vito Genovese. I don't remember how to pronounce his name. It's Italian. I don't understand that but anyway more than 50 leaders of the organized crime syndicates from around the country converged on this sleepy town to discuss upcoming expansion plans their plans though are foiled when a local police trooper ed croswell discovers their activities and consequently exposes the mob to the american public croswell's actions shed light on the massive web of corruption and change the face of law enforcement forever now just from that rundown sounds very interesting this is a bit, and this is a true story. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really cool story. It's not that well known. Yeah, and your your interest is is peaked there. Yeah. So yeah, if I if I didn't know anything else that Harris has already clued me into the fact that this movie is not great, but based on <laughs> spoiler spoiler based on that synopsis, I I could be interested. This I, is, I will right. say this is the kind of movie where and see I am I'm a little hesitant to you know. I'm being very careful with how I choose my words here because the last time I talked about a David Arquette movie on this show, <laughs> he proceeded to just roast me for like the next hour and a half of recording time for not liking his movie. It's the greatest thing to happen on this podcast ever. So I, re- but I remember. Go check out our point. David Arquette uh, interview. David Arquette is here, yeah. and you can listen to Harris get roasted by the man himself about Ready to Rumble because Harris does not appreciate. That brilliant movie for what it is. So, but I remember at one point in that interview, if you listen to the episode, Mark asked, you know, how it all came about that he ended up in a wrestling movie. And he said something, you know, well, I I knew I'd always liked wrestling and I read the script and I thought it was funny. I guess Harris didn't, but that's okay. (laughs) But I thought about multiple times watching this movie, Mob Town. I thought, yeah, I see why he thought this would be a really interesting project to be a part of. Like, it is a very interesting story. I remember the podcast Stuff You Should Know touched on this a little bit. They did an episode about the mafia, and they kind of point out something that I don't think people really appreciate, which is that people didn't really, people didn't know what the mob was in 1957. Like, they hadn't made a billion movies about it. They hadn't made... The Godfather or Goodfellas or like half of, you know, Martin Scorsese's movies. Like people didn't know all of the cliches about what this organized crime even meant. And they allude to that a little bit in the movie. There are times where people are like, wait, what do you mean by an organized crime family? Like, what is that? The public were generally ignorant of it. The FBI pretended it didn't exist. I mean, this is the 50s. I mean, this is like typical, you know, American perfectionism yeah, i guess well, and again you know, can look at, it. At, at the end of the movie again spoiler alert this is all based on a true story like a lot of the mob <laughs> leaders are arrested and nothing really sticks but like the fbi comes out later and says 
yeah, this was part of an operation against organized crime in America, and we're here to fight organized crime, and we have a new task force set up to do that. And the guys on the Stuff You Should Know podcast pointed out, like, this would be like the FBI coming out and saying, oh yeah, by the way, a few weeks ago we conducted a big raid on ghosts, and yeah, <laughs> ghosts are real, and we're going after them now. Like, it's, it okay. wasn't something, that, okay. it's a little bit of an, but like, I don't know if it would be nobody, exactly like, like that. I do want to say really quickly that I think that the term organized crime is kind of awesome, because it implies <laughs> that any non-mobster just isn't really like that focused or intentional about what they're doing. Every other unlawful act is unorganized crime <laughs> well speaking of That's a good point speaking of good not point. that focused on what you're doing the yeah we've established that like in real life this story pretty interesting i see why they decided to make a movie about it i see why david arquette got involved i see why like everyone involved got on board with this project um the way they decide to tell this story is they break it off in a couple of different directions and you've got like the nominal lead david arquette he's the small town you know he's not a police officer in the town he's a state trooper but he's been reassigned to the small town because he arrested a mob member a few years ago and they're you know out to get him they had him reassigned reassigned did you say that he has a chip on his shoulder just a little bit just just a little bit curious you know he's got a splinter maybe in in fact you might almost say that you know like the other people in the unit don't believe in him when he says that Mm. something's up they're like, get out of here, David Arquette. You got no evidence. You got no proof. You you got nothing. You just just go be a small town cop. And he says, I'm not gonna be a small town cop. I'm gonna be a big boy cop. The nerd. But but in the midst of all that, we have another plot, which is that um, David Arquette has a crush on you know the um, the the cute girl that works at the diner nearby. The widow of a war yeah. person. A does she does she like have that. three adorable little kids? You yes. bet she does. <laughs> is the only one that can somewhat act to the youngest one? Yes. Mm. Uh, yes. Does she have a dead husband? Oh, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yep, yep. Does she miss him? She says she does. Uh, doesn't look like it. Doesn't right? really dwell on it too much. Don't know how long this has been, though. Maybe it's been like 10 years. We don't know. Is David Arquette... No, it's definitely not been 10 years. Okay. That kid is not 10 years old. Is David Arquette sort of like sweet and bumbling and shy, but she likes him anyway? Oh, yeah. Is David Arquette being David Arquette? Yes. Absolutely. And that part's good. That's the best part. <laughs> so, okay, so question then. If he's like this sort of bumbling, charming guy, like, if, if it wasn't David Arquette in this role, which one's a better fit? And this is going to tell me a lot about this character. Adam Sandler or Leo DiCaprio? Mm. See, David Arquette's his own thing. He doesn't really fit in either I'm, of so those I'm going to say Adam Sandler, I think. Maybe slightly. So he has a little bit of the aloofness. I don't know. Mm, no, not really. It's really just small town. Uh, it's really just like the ultra charming. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like you just kind of want to. I don't even know how to describe. It. It's David Arquette. He's it, playing. He, it's, he's playing David Arquette. Have you seen Scream? Okay, I have seen. Imagine Scream. Imagine Dewey. But but okay. not as dumb. Like not on right. the not on the right. dumb. He's a side. Com- smart enough to solve crimes. Dude. Right. He's yes, a competent yes. police officer. <laughs> yes. Correct. He's yes. a competent police officer. But when it comes to interacting with the girl he likes. It's much more like like he's shy quiet. Adam Sandler. DiCaprio would be too cool to play like a too shy to ask this girl out cop. But the other so those two things are going on. You have another plot where like for the first third of the movie we're kind of focusing on the the leader of the mob in New York City and he's talking about how you know he's been 
Um, he, he was, what's the word? What's the word? He was sent to Italy for murder charges that happened in Italy. Yeah, something like Wasn't that. Wasn't convicted, came back, and now he wants to take back his empire. And he sends his hitmen out, and they start killing people. And then he decides we got to have a meeting together in upstate New York. Well, and, what you he know, does is he kills off the like top guys right. and then wants to meet with everyone else so everyone knows that he's now the top guy. Correct. So you have That's what he wants. David he wants to Arquette. establish his leadership in the mob. So you've got David Arquette, a small town cop with a chip on his shoulder. The people in the department don't, you know, think he'll ever amount to anything real real big and real serious. Uh, you've got the girl he likes and her family. You've got the head of the mob who's calling for a meeting because he wants to be the head of the empire again. And then uh, you've got the mob guy who owns the house where they're meeting and his wife and good chunk of the movie from that point on like the last two-thirds of the movie is spent with the two of them trying to put on a real good show and like throw a great party at their house so the people in the mob would like them now the thing is like a lot of these things sound like they work on paper and i think they're trying to do this martin scorsese thing where they tie all of these threads and all these different characters together and they can never quite do it no so, like, if the movie had been almost entirely a, a comedy or, like, a dramedy about this low-level mobster and his wife who live alone on their, you know, like, really nice farm in upstate New York trying to put on this party for the mob, like, all of the mob. See, that sounds interesting. Would have been much more right. entertaining. That sounds fun. Right, yeah, but they don't, been. as soon as they start to focus on that a little bit too much, then we come back to David Arquette. Who is, you know, he, like, there's, there's He's a really... He's usually just sitting there listening to the radio. He'll or, hear, you know, like, oh, these mobsters were killed in New York City. Right. And he's like, I know about the mob. That sounds bad, you know. And then, I don't know. He's, so he knows something's up now <laughs> yeah. with the mob. And, like, th- th- there's an interesting scene where, for example, the low-level mobster is trying to get enough meat for all these guys to eat for the party. Because it's a small town that's 1957. Yeah, there's no Walmart to go to. And he ends up pretty much bribing off the meat delivery person to give him his entire like month's shipment of pork chops and steaks and stuff so that he can cook for the mob. And then in the next scene, David Arquette and his girlfriend go out to dinner and David Arquette orders the steak. Oh, well, sorry, sir, we don't have any steak. Oh, well, uh, I'll have the pork chops then. And then she says, oh, I'm sorry, we actually, we have an issue with our meat distributor we're all out of pork chops too, and David Arquette's like, "What's going on here?" Is that is well? That wait, a wait, wait. Of the story did that really I, happen? I, I believe so. Okay. But the other thing is, he he watched this happen as well. Yeah. Before he just happened to be driving by, and see him arguing with the meat distributor guy, and saw that. So that's what first tipped him yeah. off. Yeah. So there's, and then you had him not being able to order anything, confirm it. I guess. I guess. And so the whole time he keeps having these little leads, but then the captain, whatever, is like, no, you you don't have any evidence. We're not going after this. Captain, best part of the movie. That is the top-notch actor we all come to respect in any movie. He definitely is not the real police captain of wherever they shot this movie. <laughs> definitely not. This is a professional actor. Do you want to tell him uh, yeah, your, your dad's theory on the cast of this movie? Uh, basically, there, there's really three good performers on in this movie, in my opinion. I think David Arquette's good. I think uh, P.J. Byrne is good as kind of the, the little dorky sidekick cop. 
I mean, he's been in several things. He's been like the Wolf of Wall Street as one of the brokers, yeah. like the little nerdy guy and stuff like that. He's pretty good. And then the main bad, the main mob boss is Robert Davey, who's been in a handful of things over many decades and is a, is a real actor. And he, he's fine too. <laughs> I think. So you got three of those. <laughs> I think most of the other people are just locals that they hired it. No, like the girl. There's some other that I'm sure are actors. I know our actors, oh, but man. nobody's particularly great. Now, to their credit, they don't have a lot to work with as far as scripts go. Right. It's. I think if if I had so to, you got to give them a little bit of leeway with that. The if, script is not great. If I had to condense like my review of this movie, it's that like there that is an interesting story that they're telling you about, and they have a couple different interesting like potential point of view characters like David Arquette. He's a small town cop. He realizes something's up, and then he realizes that 50 of the most corrupt, most powerful men in the country are in his town right there, and he has to try and do something to stop them. It's like this great, massive evil that invades his town. That could be interesting, and like have right. him you know, sort of wonder, am I paranoid? Is something going on here? And kind of unravel the mystery and discover, no, there's a monster in my backyard. Or, you know, you could have, like, the domestic angle from the point of view of, you know, the mobster and his wife who are trying to put on this show. And they are, I think they're they're likable enough. They're kind of, you know, it's kind of a cliched performance. But, they're you know, you, you do root for them. And he seems like a nice enough guy. And you want to see him, you know, do well. And it's kind of interesting to think about how would you put on a show for 50 people coming to your house in 1957 in the middle of nowhere. Like, logistically, it's just interesting to see him try to work through all this stuff. Or maybe the politics of the mob and the intrigue and the mob leader assassinates his rivals and then how is he going to get everybody back behind him? And they don't really focus on any of them. No, not really. So the screenplay need just to go kind on of dates. vaguely bounces from... And, and they're trying to tell a love story between David Arquette mm. and this widow and her three adorable, precocious little children. And it can't focus... Like, if they had done one of those things... It would have been a little better. They would have had the chance to dig a little bit deeper and like make it work. But they just bounce so aimlessly from one to another that you never quite feel like anything yeah. sticks. And here's one of the problems... This movie was written by John Carlo and Joe Guilford. Now, John Carlo is an actor who's been in a handful of little parts and, and TV episodes and stuff. He's only written two things. And um, the first one was last year. Joe Guilford has written four things. And then it's been it's directed by another actor it's danny um beckheiser you know could you pronounce this a a beckheiser a beckheiser I, I don't know something like that he's been in a few bit roles um he did a bit role in the irishman a bit role in uh wolf of wall street just a couple of little things here well he's the director he's only directed one movie before this and it was last year this movie first we take brooklyn which actually was also the first movie or first thing ever written by one of the writers was that movie as well um he's one of the main actors in this movie he plays the guy who's uh trying to put on the party for uh for the rest of the mob so you have a lot of inexperience here yeah as so, far as running it and it is very apparent so it's sort of like if, if if i were to go to like a local college and i would go to one of their like orchestra practices and grab like four people who are decent at playing their instrument and say hey I need you to put on an opera. I need you to write an opera and I need you to stage it and I need you to direct it. 
I mean, you know how to play the violin, so don't let me down here. Yeah, I, more or less. It, it's pretty close to that. And But it, it, it's, it's very apparent. Like, again, the script, not good on, hmm. on a story level or a dialogue level. Both mm-hmm. are not great. The story's all over the place, as, we've, as Harris just talked about. Many different threads that don't really go anywhere. And or as far as emotionally or anything, don't right. really develop. The dialogue is very bad, and you don't have great actors, so that's just not a great combination as a whole. And the directing isn't very good. The camera mostly is still doesn't really do much. Um, the editing's kind of all over the place. Even the color correcting is off. Like it'll be like color graded one way, and then you'll cut to like uh, like when it's David Arquette or like in New York City or something. It's like color graded one way, and then as soon as you go to like the inside of the the house where the party is, it's like bright and it's yeah, this totally different thing. Very jarring. So on all levels, it just seems very beginner ish yeah, as far as fair. that goes. Now we're not necessarily people to talk about that. Not like say, we can do the, any yeah. better. <laughs> so, but as someone who's seen a lot of movies and has studied a lot of yeah. movies, I notice some, you know, certain of these things. So and that's just, it, it's just a lot of people new to these p- specific jobs. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah. I pointed this out to Jake earlier, Mark. Have you seen, you've seen the poster for this movie, right? Yeah. Can you describe that for the people listening at home? Jake, you, can you describe yeah, you this? Can. So what I'm looking at is David Arquette. He's wearing a top hat and he is holding a Tommy gun with a drum magazine. And beneath that are some police officers with their guns drawn pointed at the viewer. It's real dramatic. It's very gray. Mm-hmm. And another, yeah. yeah. David Arquette looks a little sad in the poster. Like angsty too. Or, yeah, you know, I, mean, angry. I just noticed this just now. Why is David Arquette dressed as the mobster? So, so that's kind of what he's I was He's the police thinking. officer, but he's dressed in a suit, fedora, and Tommy gun as the mobster under the title Mob Town. If I didn't know anything about this movie, I would definitely think that David Arquette was the mob guy. Right. It looks like that. Right. Um, so for those of you who, you know, if you still can't quite picture what we're looking at or you haven't immediately Googled Mob Town 2019, because if you just Google Mob Town, it doesn't yeah, come you up. Can find it. it looks exactly Wait, like... what comes up if you Google Mob Town? There's another movie from like the 50s called Mob Town. I know that's come up sometimes. Probably unrelated. Okay. But... He looks exactly like Johnny Depp on the poster yeah. for Public Enemies, the movie yeah. where he played John Dillinger in the 1930s. Mark, yeah. at no point in this movie does David Arquette dress like that. No. He certainly doesn't whip out a Tommy gun at any point. Because he's not the mobster. I don't think he even draws his... Does he draw his gun in this movie? I don't, I don't think believe he does. So. I, I can't remember so, a time no. where he does. And I just... I respect this poster so much because it does make it look like, not only that, I, I put it away, but in the background of the picture, you see the skyline of New York City. Yeah. I don't think David Arquette's ever in New York City. No, he's not. The whole point is that he's a small town cop in upstate New York, far away from where all the action is. And in the poster, he's got his top hat on like like he's a bank robber in the 1930s. Yep. And the Tommy gun, like, it isn't even connected to his body. It's just, like, photoshopped in next to him, so it looks like he's holding a Tommy gun. It's astonishingly misleading, but I kind of respect it. (laughs) But I think that's just, it just speaks to the disarray behind this movie. Like, they could never quite figure out what they wanted it to be. Yeah, it sounds to me like they 
either hired someone or like dumped the the poster design off to someone who really didn't know that much about the movie. They gave them a very brief synopsis of the movie and said, hey, can you make a cool looking poster about this mob story? And they were like, I got you. And it looks like, I mean, it looks like a really edgy, like (laughs) Brooklyn, New York, you know, guns and booze and prohibition, you know, kind of gang war movie. And that's not what we got at all. I wish they had been able to double down either on David Arquette's small town detective trying to, you know, kickstart his love life or the mobsters trying to put on this party because i think there were some really interesting threads in this movie that they just never quite picked up and then in the end uh they descend on all the mobsters and arrest them it's never really made clear why (laughs) i don't well well, i mean these are no i guess they're known i guess guess they're known to be associated with this so that's enough to to gather also we, we do not see them arrested or anything we literally see them like four cops show up yeah and then they're like all right we need to figure this out get more people and then they need they want the fbi but then actually it's like someone else it's not the fbi some other government thing shows up and they're like what are you doing no we need the fbi and they're like what's going on they're like like, there's like 60 mobsters in there and they're like oh shoot we need the fbi like it's supposed to be the the climax right this is where all of david arquette's like paranoia pays off because he realizes he isn't crazy he isn't imagining things he has cracked the case and he's that found could out another thread that was actually focused where, on more is him him not being respected enough it's like uh, briefly done yeah, a few like, times and it's like him and his buddy first of all again not on david arquette who does a good job but in all of his stakeout scenes like they all drive you know cars from the 1950s which are like the size of this room and right. very big and very slow and very loud and david arquette's investigation consists of him driving around following people or parking outside their house and just looking at their house i don't know how they know he's not there because yeah, they live point. on a farm and he will like park at the top of the hill and be like what are you doing down there and it's like dude you're <laughs> i don't know but you're parked in their yard like the end of the movie so the end of the movie he's yeah. like this is it this is it we're live let's go and he gets his you know his dumb partner he's like come on we gotta go catch him and they're parked outside the guy's house watching all these mobsters roll up and david arquette's like yeah i recognize all those cars they're super nice and he's writing down license plate numbers you know well no not yet well it's you know but they're keeping an it's eye on the it they're waiting thing. for like the cavalry to come in and then like two Troopers from the city come up, and then two more guys from, you know, like the Bureau of Revenue or something come up, and they all park there, and he's like, all right, let's go set up a roadblock, and let's get them. I don't think they've committed a crime. Like, they're just hanging out. Like, I I guess we're assuming that they're known criminals. Yeah, they're known criminals. That's never really explained. Like, his superior officer is like, you got to give me some evidence, Arquette, because you're a loose cannon. You're out of control. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, I think then, I think he's talking about that guy in particular because he's like a known guy around town, like that people like. And but people know this top guy I apparently because once that name gets thrown around, that's when everything starts to move. Show up, but it's never but, really. But this explained. is the other thing. No, so nobody sees them. We already talked about that. And right. then David Arquette's like, "All right, I need to go get these license plates." So he just walks up to the house and starts writing license plates. And of course, the wife looks out the window he's and like, is like, uh, "Uh, we have a problem." There's a cop right there, and then everyone goes, ah, scatter! And then runs. they all just, they don't get in their cars and drive away, because there's a roadblock at the one entrance. So they all just start, these fat guys just start running through the, the woods, and then that's it. We don't even see any of them get caught. Not, we just assume they did, because it cuts, and then it's right. over. You know, like in the well, Wolf... Well, the good news is, in real life, they're all dead, so... <laughs> yeah, they are now. Like, that's true. Wolf... We know the ending of this story <laughs> <Right>. eventually. <laughs> 
Like the Wolf of Wall Street, you know, there's this really crazy, like, climactic scene where all of the main characters are, like, dragged out of the office, you know, kicking and screaming, arrested. They try to run, whatever. It's like, boom! They got them. Like, that's how any mob movie ends, pretty much. But with this one, half of them get in their cars and drive away, and then you see their cars backed up because, I guess, they ran into the roadblock. I don't think you ever see the roadblock. And then the rest of them are like, forget it, let's just go. And then they're running off through the woods, and they're huffing and puffing because it's 1957. Nobody does any exercise. All they eat is steak, and they just smoke constantly. So they're like, oh, man, I can't run anymore. And then it cuts to, like, the epilogue. And it's like, yeah, a lot of these mobsters were arrested. And then most of them, you know, all the charges were overturned because they weren't doing anything wrong. But then a couple of years later, the Federal Bureau of Investigation announced an investigation. And then they passed a law about racketeering. And that was the beginning of the search for the American mob. And like, and you don't hear anyone say it like that. It's just, a, no, just, it's just writing. Text. It's just text. That and and the text goes way too fast to where you have to be like, no, no, wait. I didn't finish reading that. And you have to go back and... And so it that. sounds like a lot more things happen in the text at the end of the movie than the movie. <laughs> correct. Yes, you're absolutely yes, correct. You're right. Like everything that yes. happens at the and then it's like you know when the the guy David Arquette played went he on did, to like, become a bunch this of and stuff. this. He was like a main he testified, testified before Congress. He, he started. He like joined the task force. Like he did all this and other. His really son cool grew up stuff. to be a state right, trooper now, too. Now, now I want to die. Imagine if you're the guy who David Arquette plays and you did all these incredible things and they make a movie about you. And you just hit on a single mom for the majority of it. That would be a little <laughs> frustrating for me. Well, like, he's you know dead, what? so uh, I, guess, I guess he's. Fine. You know, I guess he he wouldn't really care. I mean, he's as fine. But as But like you can that be. was the yeah. moment where I was like, oh, that's all really interesting. Right? Why was none of that addressed in the, the feature film that we just saw? This whole story is really interesting, and that's when I realized I was like, this shouldn't be a movie. This should be a documentary. I'd be much more interested in watching a yeah. documentary of this so, than the movie that we kind of got it, so it's, it's always nice to see david arquette in action yes in conclusion david arquette you're fantastic sir we love watching your characters on screen it's a lot of fun the kind of quirky easygoing but like determined i don't know just everything about him you enjoy this yeah. character i mean that's why he got you know that's why his character from scream was so popular and why he can only play cops from here on out <laughs> right but it's it's a fun character and and uh you know, so that that part's good. Again, there's a couple other decent performances. But I mean, it sounds like they didn't really give David Arquette like an opportunity to do that. Yeah, that's that's thing. the disappointing like, part. I would have liked to see them give David Arquette more stuff to do. Like I said, any any one of these threads, if you decide to make the whole movie about that, like the couple trying to get their home ready for the mob, and they're scared, but they also right. know this could you know be a great opportunity for them. Or David Arquette, who you know wants to track down the mob but just gets discouraged at every turn and starts to see something wrong happening in his own town and maybe wonder if it's all in his head like any one of these things you could focus on i think would make a way more interesting movie and they just they just don't they don't give like the good actors they have any chance to really sink their teeth into anything i agree anyway we've talked about this long enough way longer than i meant to talk about that movie and uh harris i think it's time for us to get into uh your little uh, stocking stuff, okay. as you call it, topic here. Perfect. Okay, so uh, we're keeping with the Christmas theme. You know, we've good, talked good. about Rowdy Roddy Piper in the cast of A Christmas Carol. As Ebenezer which, Scrooge. Right, which, as mm-hmm. I, I, I pointed this out in the last episode, Jake, but I think you'll agree, WWE Studios needs to stop trying to make bad action movies and bad family comedies and just remake classic stories where all of the characters are played by WWE wrestlers. 
instantly becomes so much more interesting. I agree. Yeah, uh, I I completely and totally agree. And real quick, I want each of us to think of one that they should do and who should play the main character oh, man, because okay. I think this is fun. Okay. Oh, that is man. Fun. That is going to be tough. See, the first one, okay, I'll just I'll workshop this live while we're thinking. The first one that I thought of in the vein of the Muppets is WWE Treasure Island. Yeah, I was thinking that okay. too. Okay, that would be fantastic. Which, I so too. I feel like the lead, like, <clears throat> you've got jim hawkins right but i feel like the real lead of treasure island is always long john silver so which wwe wrestler are we trusting to play long john silver i think because he can't be like Um, long john silver mm. oh boy okay but first of all i do love the idea of john cena playing little boy jim hawkins (laughs) that would be very funny just like you know like with like a weird comical (laughs) bowl haircut I i wanted to do all of these like it's a high school play too. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, like the Christmas Carol. Exactly, one. that's it was what that is a on lot a stage like. With just one just room. Personalities. And yeah, that that would be that would be good. I, I think it is a little. It's not quite as goofy no, as I would the... like, but I think Triple H playing Long John Silver would work really well because he okay, can be that's very a good, cool. That's, that's he the can best al- choice actually. He can also be terrifying, and that's like that's I feel like the true. duality is really there. Yeah. When he's like the fa- you know the father figure in the first half of the book, it's like proud papa NXT Triple H, but then you know when the yeah, like the that's, layers kind of start to peel true, back, yeah. you can tell there's some real evil there, and he's trying to keep it at bay because he likes this kid. But you're also like he's not a good person. I think Triple H could nail that, especially if it's John Cena playing Jim Hawkins once again. But <laughs> which, which it should be now. Should like, be yeah. No, that's a good call. Triple H is a solid sol- solid call for that role. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. What do you guys think? I don't know. Okay, I'm going to go with Hercules, and it should be The Rock. Oh, that's... Are you just saying that because you saw a movie where he played Hercules? Oh, shoot. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Wow. (laughs) Wow. You know what? I think They Live with Rowdy Rowdy Piper would be a solid one as well. Wow, that's a really good idea. I wonder what that would look like. I know. Okay, I'm I'm going to think of a real one, and I'm going to do it quickly. And I'm gonna say, it should be Peter Pan, and playing Peter Pan should be Chris Jericho. Jericho's Captain Hook, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Jericho's, Jericho's Captain, Captain Hook. Hook. Shoot. Yeah, that would be fun. Jericho's oh, yeah, Captain Hook Peter Pan. would be great. See, the boy is hard to cast because all it the wrestlers tough, are inherently yeah. like, "Look at me, I'm real big and tough." You know, that's true. That that is a tough. Mm. Oh, I already got it. Okay. Chad Gable. Yeah, Chad Gable's <laughs> Peter Pan. Chris Jericho's Captain Hook. Wow, they're literally making him a little kid. We've talked about this on Incredible. a previous episode. Absolutely, no, you nailed it. <clears throat> yeah. I guess that makes him Jim Hawkins too. If we're not doing John Cena, he well, he's the work. only kid, I guess, right. in the WWE. Right. So yeah, yeah. Okay, well, um, yeah, no, that's wow. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that was incredible. a nice little sidebar. That was fun. We're gonna make that a recurring segment. <laughs> that is a good segment. There's so much potential. Recasting there. other things with WWE superstars, I like that yeah. a lot. That definitely needs to be a <laughs> okay. uh, uh, a little segment of the show. Okay, thanks so a lot, Jake. Imagine. <laughs> so now that we've you know we got Roddy Roddy Piper playing a Christmas Carol, playing Ebenezer Scrooge in a Christmas Carol, which is perfect casting We've it is gone on to fantasy book a couple other like public domain stories or you know classic stories with wrestlers we also talked about you know the time that santa claus appeared on wwe television that was a great one and you know got run over by santa! alberto del rio 
So this yes. week, we're going to talk about all another Christmas. Christmas story, but, you know, not all Christmas stories have a happy ending. Sometimes, you know, you just have to kind of take your medicine and look for a brighter day. And uh, this Christmas story is all the way back in 2004. It's actually right here in Atlanta. Mark, I don't think you were watching wrestling or wouldn't have been there at the time, but... Yeah, that was a little early. It's at the uh, it's at the pay-per-view Armageddon in the year 2004, and this is the time where Kurt Angle was in the middle of his fantastic, like, original recipe heel run. You know, he's shaved bald, he's got the singlet, and he's doing this thing. As he comes to the ring, he's got a police escort, and the police are carrying in a little wooden box the gold medal that he won in the Olympics. Of course. I don't know if you know this. He won a gold medal with a broken freaking neck. It was a whole thing. It was in Atlanta. And as he's making his way down to the ring, Michael Cole points out that, hey, he's got the medal. You know what that means. I think we're in for another Kurt Angle Invitational. And this is what he would do at the time. He would have an open challenge. He would call out somebody. Maybe someone random would answer. Maybe it was like a predetermined person. And he would wrestle a match with them with his gold medal at stake. So this is sort of a super... Atlanta homecoming, Kurt Angle Invitational, because it is the, it's the medal he won in Atlanta, you're right. It's usually a hometown hero that he calls out and has a match with, and this is right here in Atlanta. And Michael Cole says, wow, you know, I wonder who he's going to call out, and this, that, and the other. And Kurt Angle gets to the ring, and he says, let's see here, he says, tonight I'm going to put my gold medal on the line with a man who's a lot like me. He's admired by millions. He's the very best at what he does, and he takes his craft very seriously. Now, Atlanta has a rich wrestling tradition, a rich wrestling history. It does. Mm-hmm. And just imagine for a second if, like, Bill Goldberg had come out to answer this challenge. He was challenge. already gone at this point. Right. But this is, you know, this is, like, this is how you bring him back, right? Like, this is a big surprise return, hometown hero, a man who's admired by millions and, you know, clearly puts a lot into his craft, which, you know, of course, is, you know, a wrestler, right? It's not Bill Goldberg. Can you think of any other Atlanta legends? I mean, I guess, uh, you know, Dusty Rose is a little past his prime at this point. You know, Cody being from Atlanta. It's too early for him. Well, uh, it wasn't any of them. It wasn't even a wrestler. He, uh, he says, please welcome my guest for this evening, Santa Claus. Woo! And he's back. It's another Yay. Santa story. He's making his way to the ring. Jingle Bells is playing. He's giving out candy canes to the boys and girls in the audience. Michael Cole, God bless him, is thoroughly perplexed by this. He says, I don't see how Santa... Santa's from the North Pole. This doesn't make any sense. I like how he says Santa is the best at what he does, as if there's other people trying to beat Santa out for that position. He's the only one at what he He does. He could be terrible. He could be the worst at what he does, you know? There is no measure of comparison. So That's a good point. Michael Cole is working this out on the air, and he says, well, you know, I guess uh, I guess wherever you go, Santa's a hometown hero, right? Yeah, I guess that's it, which... That is... That's true. That's true. I sure, agree with you, that. You know, you know. So, Santa, by the way, he's not dressed in, like, Santa wrestling gear. I don't think he really knows what he signed up for. I think he just saw, like, Kurt Angle Invitational and took it as an invite, like, oh, I'm going to go talk to Kurt Angle and we'll have some milk and cookies and it'll be fine. Because he's just, he's got his full Santa get up. He's in the coat, he's in the pants, the hat, the whole nine yards. Not ready for a wrestling match at all. But he gets down to the ring and Kurt Angle proceeds to just roast him, just cut a ridiculous promo. He says, look, I'm going to let you get back to your work. I know you're very busy and you can get back to the North Pole with, you know, Taz and all the other elves. And he looks at Taz on commentary. Got him. 
Taz is like, that's it's really mean, but okay. He's like, no, no, Taz, I'm just playing with you, man. Because see, I like Taz, but Santa, I don't like you. Oh, no, we're getting serious mm-hmm. now. He says, you see, I work my butt off every single night so that I can come home and I can see my little daughter. But my daughter never wants to talk about me. All she wants to do is write to Santa Claus. You give real heroes like me a bad name. So he's going all in on Santa because his kid uh, likes Santa more than she likes him. I don't know what Kurt Angle thinks kids are like. I know I never talked to my dad about his day when I was a little kid, but (laughs) that's beside the point. So he says... You give real heroes like me a bad name, and that's why I'm having my daughter watch the pay-per-view tonight. He looks at the camera and he goes, Hey, baby. And I told her all about this match. And I told her how I'm going to make poor, fat, pathetic Santa tap out. And then the bell rings, and he just beats the crap out of Santa Claus. Oh, boo. Just collar and elbow tie-up, throws him to the ground, angle slam. While this is going on, by the way, Michael Cole says, is, is trying to make light of the situation, doesn't really know what's going on, and says, All right, Taz, so, uh, so which elf are you? Are you dopey? <laughs> um, Keen listeners may observe, like, uh, uh, dopey is one of not the dwarves. An elf. Correct, yep. He's not an he's elf. Not an elf. Not he's an one elf. of the seven dwarves from Snow White. <clears throat> Michael Pretty Cole. Sure that's- uh, I'm pretty sure that's um, dwarfism right yep. there. Ooh, it is. Snow White in the WWE recast. Oh, man, Page. All the elves. Page. Page is a all good the dwarves. Pick, actually. Page is a pretty good anyway, show. Anyway, we won't Good show. Anyway. Future episode right I, I do. I do want to kind of try and dissect Kurt Angle's logic here. Just, Please just, do. Just Please do. Bit. So his daughter, he perceives that his daughter likes Santa Claus more than him. Mm-hmm. And his belief is that if he were to prove that he is better at fighting than Santa Claus, that she will like him more. I I feel reasonably convinced that she already had a pretty good idea that her dad could beat up Santa Claus. <laughs> you would you would think like he just misunderstood the issue. I, I don't think she was like, I want to write a letter to Santa because he could kick your butt, Dad. And I'm going to keep writing him letters until you prove to me beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are a stronger man than he is. I think that that's how his brain works, though. He's like, uh, she doesn't want to talk about me. Is she because th- she thinks I can't beat Santa in a fight? Because I could. I totally could. I'll invite him down to Atlanta and I'll show everybody. Yeah, so he does. It's not like, here's the thing. Well, this is the other time we talked about this. I mean, clearly Santa's been training. I think that's the takeaway here because the first match that we talked about took place in 2012. He got run over by a car, but still made it back by the end of the episode. No such comeback exists in this show. There's no like backstage reports on Santa's condition like there are in the other episode. It's just never mentioned again. He just beats up Santa, puts him in the ankle lock. Locks it at Santa taps immediately because he's an old man who is not a trained wrestler. He's like, yeah, I didn't sign up for this. This hurts. Please stop. Angle just locks it in, you know, grabs it, falls to the ground. He's just yanking on it even more. And they, you know, people swarm in and peel him off Santa and cart poor Santa off backstage. He's, He's never heard from again. Like that year, I think kids, there were a lot of traumatized kids who were never told like, oh, by the way, kids, Santa's okay. Which they will try to do sometimes. Like there was one... We talked about this episode where The Undertaker buried Paul Bearer in cement. Yeah. Like he wet cement. Him. Yeah. Like, 
Like, for all intents and purposes, he killed him. Drowned him in wet cement. And then... It's a good episode, too. Check next that one n- out. It's called uh, Undertaker Buries Paul Bear in I've, Cement. I have or heard Paul that Bear one. Buried yeah. in Cement. It's one of those. The two. next night, they come back, like, on SmackDown, and they're like, oh, yeah, and we were told that uh, Paul Bear was rescued from the cement and rushed to the hospital with severe internal injuries. You're like, nah, that man's dead. <laughs> like, he was sitting in the concrete up to his neck for, like, 30 minutes. Like, no, pretty no, much no. the he entire was match. No, he right, was and then he was completely buried. Submerged. So, like, even if he wasn't buried, like, it hardened on his, like, his chest. and But they still gave some sort of explanation. Right. Never happens. Sand is just beaten up, carted off. It's never explained until either he makes another appearance, which which might be as late as eight years later. So and maybe, I don't remember. Clearly, he came prepared. In 2012, that's the takeaway here, I guess. But it's not always a happy ending right away, kids. You know, sometimes you got to wait eight years for Santa to come back and wreak bloody vengeance on Alberto Del Rio. All right. That's it. Well, fair enough. Yeah. Thanks, Harris. Yep. Moving on. We got to talk into the fire, which happened last night. Indeed it did. Um, We'll talk about some of the matches. But first, let's just uh, talk about kind of the... Kind of the atmosphere and how everything everything felt and just the look of everything. Just in case, because obviously not that many people have actually been to an NWA show. They've yeah. had two days of tapings. Yeah. And what is it, seat? Like 300 people maybe? I would say less than that. Uh, so like two to yeah. 300 people yeah, in, maybe. That, uh, in that uh, Georgia Public Broadcasting Studio in Atlanta. So... Yeah, not that many of you guys have actually been to an NWA taping in Atlanta, and this is our first time at it because we missed it the first time because we're all idiots for not wanting to go to the first one. I still don't know why we didn't do that, but we should have. Anyway, going to the pay-per-view, their first pay-per-view. Well, I guess they had that NWA 70 last year. Yeah, but I mean so, that's not like but since that was they started the TV tapings. But since, yeah, yeah, since they've done the show and everything, the first pay per view, first properly built up yeah. pay per view, I yeah. think is a good way to put it. And so, one, it's not in an arena or uh, a venue or anything like that. It is literally in a TV studio. So you drive into the headquarters of Georgia Public Broadcasting, park in the parking deck, you go down to the bottom. There's a little metal detector they have at one of the doors. You go through that, and then you're just in the studio. You can see all the studios. There's people working there. There's a bunch of weird pictures up of, like, PBS shows. So it's, like, Downton Abbey and, like, nature shows and all the stuff you walk past, and you're like, we're going to see wrestling. It's a I weird feel like I feel like we should be learning more here yeah. than, uh, than this. So you go in there, and then all of a sudden you see kind of their little setup. And it's set up like an indie show. I mean, there's tables, and they have NWA merch there. There's a handful of wrestlers at any given time that are at their own tables with their own merch, selling it. Again, very, very indie style yeah. there. And you can go up and you know talk with the wrestlers, get an autographed picture, get a, get a picture taken with them. Me and my dad got our picture taken with the Rock and Roll Express that were there with the tag team titles. That was awesome. They were one of my dad's favorites growing up. Um, uh, he loved watching them. They're still going strong, and um, still hold the titles. I yes, feel like we should point out. Yes, for they Jake. won the titles again. This is the Rock and Roll Express, like one of the. They great started in 1983 tag as a tag team, and they, are like the one of the biggest babyface tag teams of all time. They defended and retained the tag team titles at the pay per view last night. Yeah, 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 and I we'll mean, uh, hey. we'll talk about that a little Good bit. For them. But. Yeah, well, uh, so it's just it's cool, cool kind of intimate setting there. Um, you kind of line up, and then 
go through. Um, Harris had an interesting experience with one of the wrestlers here. And I know he really didn't want to talk about it, but he is 100% going to talk about it because it's one of the funniest things ever. He texted me about this story, and if you didn't bring it up, I was going to. As it happened, yeah. I had been planning to talk about this the whole time. So let's just set the scene. As I said, tables, wrestlers there. Well, anyway... A, a certain female wrestler comes in, mm-hmm. and me and Harris are like, "Oh, you know, who's that? Oh, maybe it's maybe it's Thunder." Okay, Rosa. hang on, that's not what happened. Hang on, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna absolve myself of any blame for this situation. I was looking around, and we were talking. I was, you know, I was talking about how, you know, I don't know a lot of people in the NWA. I watched the last three or four episodes of TV. Yeah, like, he doesn't even watch the show. I'm the only one out of all the, all three of these morons here mm. that actually watch the show. It's ridiculous. <laughs> It's one of the best wrestling things on, not on TV, on uh, <laughs> one of the best wrestling things going. The best wrestling that's on not screens. on TV. That's on what screen. they need to embrace. They need to be the best wrestling you'll never see on TV. That is good. So, that's and I and, and I mentioned, you know, one of the features I really liked was like the backstage vignettes on Thunder Rosa as she prepared for her MMA debut, yeah, was which really was something cool. she'd always wanted to do. And, you know, she ended up losing by decision, but, you know, she made it through the whole fight. She didn't get knocked out. She was really proud of that. It was a cool moment. And Mark, or or it might have been your dad. I'll, I'll throw him under the bus because he's not here. Said, "Oh, <laughs> there's Thunder Rosa." It definitely and I looked up. I don't. I don't think it was my dad. I don't think he I, would know. I mean, I think it was you, but I figured you would be like, "No, me. it wasn't me." So I don't I, remember. It might have been me. I think it was you. And we saw her, and I was like, "Oh, she doesn't have her face paint on." But I guess it's like a kayfabe sort of thing, right? Because she wants to be an MMA fighter too. And it's probably one of those things where it's like when she's in the ring, she's like painted up and ready to go. But when she's backstage, or when she's just like you know. Doing signings, selling merch, whatever. I guess she doesn't have it. And I did, by the way. I I I, I knew this was going to come up, but also was like, I should probably bring it up, <laughs> just to apologize again. Because what happened is, I walked up. To, I said, you know what? Yeah, I am going to go. I'm going to go. You know, get an autograph because I do think she's really cool. I'm going to go say hey, and you know, she might not be there tomorrow night. Whatever. So I walk up there, and she says, "Hi, I'm Ashley." And I said, "Oh, hey, Ashley. You know, I'm Harris. Nice to meet you." And I shook her hand and. It's, a, it's always a little awkward when you do something like that. Cause you, I hate it, for sure. I hate it. And you know it. it's weird for them, too, because like they're trying their best. And also, you know, like they really want to blow up. Like They're trying to get their name okay, out there. I, I actually want to talk the, about this. I hate meeting people like this. I hate like cele- like either celebrities or autograph signings. I really don't like it because there's no way for it not to feel weird. Because exactly. they Exactly. Because you go there and it's like... I in one, there's not a whole lot of people I would like fanboy out for. It, it's not that many people, so most of the time I'm not like going crazy about meeting them. It's like it's really cool. I like this person or their work or something, and mm-hmm. I like to meet them and get a picture with them or whatever. But I'm not gonna like fawn over it, and I have nothing to bring to this conversation. That's, right. That's my thing. Is I have nothing to say to you that you. That's care interesting. About. Yeah, at all. Like, I can't. So, I can't provide anything of value to you, the person that no. I am a fan of. Well, and it's also like it's a weird situation because you don't know if like, I don't know. Because to me, like all I know about you, if you're a wrestler, if I know anything about you, is you know like what you're doing in a wrestling storyline. But is it weird if I bring that up and like try to play along? I feel like it is because Maybe. we both know. I don't know. Well, you know, okay, I'll get but, to a specific but, example. But I, but I want to say, like, because as you were saying, you feel like you don't have any value. So I just want to get in and get out. Yeah. And then I feel like I might be being rude. Correct. Just coming in there and just being like, all Correct. I want is a picture and I want to leave. But right. it's more, 
I don't have anything that you would find interesting. I don't want right. to waste any of your time. Right. Right. I just want to get through. But so you, that's kind of so so. But but that being said, at these smaller shows, it's a little bit better when you're like the only person coming up to someone mm-hmm. because then I feel like okay, theoretically, I'm not holding anything up. And then maybe it's a little better. But in general, meeting people like that, it's almost always awkward. So have you have you told on the podcast the story about the when we went to, to that wrestling no, t-shirt? No, sale? I haven't. Okay, so when Harris and I went to SummerSlam. Ooh, story time. Quick story time. I'll make it brief. When Harris and I went to SummerSlam. We got time. They had this uh, vintage wrestling. Pop-up shop. It was like a pop-up shop. They had a bunch of old was t-shirts. Was this the uh, Roman Reigns place that you know no. i got that this from, is a different one i bought that from wwe my friend that was a like from the truck out that was a wwe original yeah. replica oh, that's even worse so we, we went to this shop i, I don't hope it's a think, bootleg thing did you buy way cooler <laughs> no i it was a lot of like really vintage like 80s wrestling stuff that's dope it no, was cool no, they had so many cool things yeah, there that's awesome. so many cool things but as as we're looking around it's like this tiny little shop it's really dimly lit and there's like a ton of clothing racks with t-shirts and jackets and stuff. So I'm just like looking through uh, like a thing of t-shirts, like filing through them on hangers and stuff. And then just like between two of the hangers, I see Zack Ryder at this <laughs> shop. And I'm like, of course he's there. Of like, course he's oh there. Oh my God, Harris, I'm, that's Zack Ryder. And he was like, say something. I was like, I, I don't know what to say. Like, <laughs> I literally don't know what to say. But finally, as we were about to leave, I just walked up to him and I was like, hey man, you're awesome. And he gave me a <laughs> And then as soon as we left, I was like, I should have just said nothing, man. That was, <laughs> he thinks I'm such a loser. I thought it was cool. It's... I mean, it, no, it, it was cool. It was definitely cool, to, cool to just like have an interaction with him. But like, I feel like that's a good example of that story where it's like, I have nothing to say to you. Yeah. Like, yeah. you're cool. I think you're cool. You don't know really anything work. about me, but yeah. I approve. Now yeah. I'll say another thing. The best interactions are with a lower level person who you're actually a fan of and know something about when no one else there does. Right. I was at yeah, one see, show. Everyone in this shop knew who's that. Like, everybody right. yeah, was working at him. If it had been, like, at Walmart or something, it's different. Oh, but yeah. you know, like, everyone here must recognize this guy, and I'm the only dork who wants to say anything about <laughs> it. Well, well, because, like, when I went to an indie show, and this was the one where it was AJ Styles' last indie show. Yeah. Well, another person who was there, I don't remember, he's... He's been in NXT now, but I don't think he's been doing anything now for a year or longer. I don't I don't remember what his NXT name is. Okay. But in TNA, he was Gunner. His name was Gunner, and he was first part of the tag team. Then he went off by himself. He was uh-huh. a cool guy, big guy, former Marine, tatted up, jacked, cool looking dude. And I always kind of liked him. And I have a shirt of him that I got for free in a grab grab bag of like TNA stuff. Mm-hmm. So I had a Gunner shirt and was wearing it. Because I knew he was on the card, and I didn't have my AJ shirt. It hadn't come in the mail yet. Yeah. So I was like, fine, I'm wearing my Gunner shirt. Well, then he was there, like, signing things as well. And so I went over there and was able to, like, actually say something. I was like, because I had his shirt and stuff. Yeah. And no one else here is going to have a Gunner shirt yeah. on. So, like, that was cool, and right. it was a cool interaction. Okay, so can I give but anyway, you the, the – imagine the exact we, – We've polar... been building this up for a while. Yep. we got to get to Harris's <laughs> so imagine, awesome interaction. Imagine the exact polar opposite of that situation where you are at a small-time <laughs> show. And here's the thing, too. Like, I, I love going to small-time shows because you can see these guys. These are, like, the people who really love wrestling because they're not making any money. They're just trying to right. get out there. They're living their dream. And even, like – I bought mystery bags from a guy at a show in South Carolina. He was just selling brown paper bags. (laughs) He was selling brown paper bags that were like mystery boxes for like $5. 
just with stuff from around his house. But I was like, Mine man, had a pack of gum in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a true story. I was just like, man, you love wrestling and you love what you're doing, and I'm gonna try to help you out. So of course I bought it. You know, like you, it's a cool moment, uh, in theory. Because in practice, what happened is I walked up to this woman, and okay, like we were talking about how, you know, it can be weird. You don't know what to say. You don't know if you're bothering them. And she is bending over backwards to, like, try and make a good impression because she knows it's an indie show. And she goes, hey, yo, hey, I'm Ashley. And I say, hey, I'm Harris. Nice to meet you, Ashley. And I'm kind of looking over her merch. And I'm like, that's interesting. She doesn't have, like, she's got one trading card where her face is sort of painted up, but it doesn't quite look the same. But I guess she's trying to front, like, the MMA side of her. And, like, the, you know, Ashley Vox is her real name. And she says, like, I was wearing this, you know, the pro wrestling t-shirt that I got. She said, I really like your shirt. That's a cool design. I said, yeah, thanks. I just got it. And she said, yeah, I just got mine too. But like, you know, it's my own shirt. They just gave it to me. I was like, oh yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Like they just have a stock of them, right? She said, yeah. And I was like, cool, cool. And I'm kind of, you know, I'm looking over her table and she's got like eight by tens and little trading cards too. And you know, like just different stuff. And I was like, okay, she's trying to talk to me. She's trying to engage, so I need to engage with her too. And I don't know that much about Thunder Rosa, but like I do know the MMA thing was cool. So I was like, I really like that piece on your fight, you know, the uh, the MMA fight. She goes, oh, uh, yeah. And in that instant, <laughs> like, oh my God, you're not Thunder Rosa. <laughs> but I can't say that. Because I was like 90, I knew, but like I wouldn't let myself admit that I had just... Just punked this poor woman <laughs> right to her face. It was like, this is her dream. And she's just doing this so that people, like, someday people are going to know her name. And I just. And I'm just going to walk right up to her and say very explicitly. I like the. I up- have no idea who you are. I'm going to say it right to your face. That you are not that, someone that I am familiar with thing. in any capacity. That would have been better. Because then I could have been like, I don't know a lot about you. Like, what's your story? I didn't do that. I just no sold her right to her face. I was like, "Hey, you're a small, you're a small Hispanic woman. You're Thunder Rosa, right?" I wanted, I wanted to die. Like Mark, I did not enjoy the pay per view until like two hours into the show because I was just sitting there like she's gonna have a match and they're gonna announce her and like she's gonna see me because I'm in the fourth row. <laughs> And she's like, we both know, but like, I didn't even, I couldn't even apologize for it because I couldn't be like, oh no, I was wrong. You're just a different woman who I know nothing about. <laughs> and then here's Honestly, the thing. That's what I would have said. I uh, should have, but I didn't like. I didn't point. want. Yeah. To, I was like, there was one part of my brain that's like, no, maybe it's just you know, it's like this is her. I just didn't want to admit maybe it. Maybe I'm not a complete moron. Yes, maybe. exactly. Maybe I didn't insult this very nice woman right to her face. And then the gate opened, and, like, Mark and his dad start going into the seat. So I'm like, uh, okay, can I just, I'll have a card? And she's like, okay, those are only five. And I was like, okay, sorry, you know, I'm kind of in a hurry, got to go get my seat. And she says, yeah, I know, okay, well, thanks for coming by, enjoy the show. And I was just like, I want to (laughs) die. Like, I don't, genuinely, I don't know how a human being could ever kill another human being. Because I just did that, and I was like, I'm the worst person on the face of this earth. And I'm not going to be happy. That's for like when you turn around, and at the last second, you just mouth, "I'm sorry," as you rush kinda, out of there and the go thing, well, through it, the door. I knew someone was going to bring this up, but even if they didn't, I would. I just I want to come on the podcast. I tweeted at her later. <laughs> Again, you don't know. Like my instinct is to like you know play along with the story and say something about what happened in kayfabe because like what happened was 
thank God she didn't actually have a match because I would have just hid under my seat. She ran in, tried to beat up Thunder Rosa, and got like her arm Broken. smashed. Yeah, yeah, it was. So she's kayfabe hurt, like she's out for a bit. And I tweeted at her and I said, I don't, I don't think she even saw it or will ever respond to it. But all I could think to say was, I'm really sorry about your arm and also the other thing, mostly the other thing. I don't know what, like, I don't know how to handle it now. Because it's also possible. I'm not going to lie, Harris. That sounds even creepier. Yeah, it is pretty creepy, actually right? apologizing for what you actually because, did. Because now, weird. if she doesn't recognize you by your Twitter photo, which Correct. is likely. My Twitter photo is Baby Yoda, so. Okay, so she's definitely going to yeah, have that's absolutely not gonna no idea who this is tweeting at her. She's no. going to be like, the other thing. <laughs> that, you have just, you made you have it just, so you much double, worse. You doubled down. <laughs> You're making her question herself again. Well, now, the other possibility... As if once wasn't enough. The other possible, Well, just because... Oh, man. Well, the other possibility here is that she forgot about it immediately because she has to interact with strangers, like, on a daily basis. Harris... I'm sure it's not the weirdest thing that's ever happened to her. All that being said... Yeah, that, uh... That kind of ruined right. my life for a little bit. And I wanted... So just huh. another platform to say, Ashley Vox, look, look her up. Support her work. I'm a big fan. <laughs> Here's the other thing. Um, never going to forget her again. <laughs> now I know who she is. I told Jake when she's inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 20 years, she's, she's like, this one be... idiot in Atlanta didn't know my name, and that was but the day that I now. knew everything would change. Yeah. <laughs> I went from having a guy I'm going to be like the Austin 316 of this woman's life. Else. Yep. Harris, all night tonight, I'm going to be trying to convince you that someone else is Thunder Rosa. Well, okay. Here's the other thing. Right. They're like, wait, go say No, there she is for real. Go say hey to her. Here's the other thing. So this is the other the other thing that happened, and this is kind of the cool thing about the show in general. Like, though, you just park in the studio, so it really feels like you're going, like, your talent in a wrestling show. You feel like you're going to see someone get beaten up backstage because you're like in the bowels of the studio, like backstage. It's kind of weird. Yeah. And we were waiting in the line to go back up to the elevators and there were like wrestlers there. Like they weren't in matches. They were like supporting, you know, like sideline talent basically waiting to, you know, take the elevators back up to their cars. And they realized it was crowded and somebody who worked there was like, wait, 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 we have another elevator you guys can use because, you know, they were clearly talent. Like they were VIPs. It was, uh, it was a homicide, homicide was and there. I forgot the other guy's name. He was part of the tag team. Well, then there was the other guy. And one of their friends who was like very clearly walking with a limp. And he's like, yeah, yeah, see, I, you know, I have to take an elevator because of my leg. And Jake, 95% of my brain is like, that's Xavier Woods. He tore his Achilles a few weeks ago. Like he's off the road. He loves to come to like, there's a con in Atlanta right now. He loves to, you know, like support weird indie wrestling stuff. I think that's Xavier Woods. I didn't see him long enough to know for sure. So I would. It looked it was, like, like he was built like him. He was like if a like, little bit shorter than us, but like real stocky, real built, and he had like long hair and a beard. If it was Xavier Rhodes, I would have known, but I didn't see him long enough to know. Right, exactly. Well, same. And he started to walk yeah. away, so I didn't get a chance to see him. And any other day, I might have like walked around the corner, but the other part of my brain was like, "You're not going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not him, you moron." <laughs> Paris is never, never again. anyone Never ever, again. Unless they have their nameplate out in front. He'll never approach never again. again. Never again. Yeah. So just... Oh, that's great. Don't pretend you know somebody. Watch NWA, I guess, is the lesson. Because then I would have known who she was. See? That's the no, real... No, that's not true. No, the, I wasn't the real sure lesson either. is, if you think you're going to go say, hey to someone named Thunder Rosa, and they say, hey, my name's Ashley. <laughs> think about it for a second. 
Just like yes. take that's those. the part I'm surprised. The all the merch says Ashley Vox and and it doesn't even like click in his head. It was the MMA thing that threw me. That's all. I, yeah, I get what I deserve. Look, this is fair. This is absolutely I, I'm fair. I'm pretty sure Ashley Vox. I'm so sorry. Like, you deserve minute, better. This isn't her. This is yeah. clearly this other person. Yeah, I know. But that's fine. I was just, it's I was fine. in the wrestling versus MMA headspace, and I was like, I guess she's trying to do like a more authentic thing on one front. Doesn't make a lick of sense. I understand that now, but it's already, you're already on the back foot in that situation and in the moment. Should have just gone with it. Just never meet your heroes or people you think are your heroes or people True. you don't know a lot about. Anyway, I guess that's the takeaway. Anyway, so you go into the studio. <laughs> They kind of herd you all towards the bottom and the middle because, you know, they need that to be the most filled because for right. TV purposes. So Dave Marquez would come out and was basically being the little MC, getting everything ready. And then he'd be like, all right, we have two seats down here. People need to fill down here. We need to move people here. He was kind of doing that, trying to be a pseudo entertainer for the 30 minutes before the show started, mm -hmm. which was which was entertaining. That was fun. Uh, another fun moment was when uh, what, what is their announcer's name? Jay Grillo or um, like he's Jay the, Grillo. He's the whitest person um, he I've is, ever seen. I think his name is Jay Grillo. Like he, yeah, looks Joe like uh, Joe Galley. That's his name. Mm. I couldn't remember what it was. It was a. Uh, it's Joe Galley's the main play-by-play -play guy, and for this first show, we got Stu Bennett making his debut for NWA as the color commentator. I assume he did a good job. Yeah, we, we couldn't hear because we were, you know, in the crowd. But he comes in, and that was a fun interaction where a guy yelled out, give us some bad news. And he stops and goes, I don't own that. Can't do it. Very and sorry. <laughs> we're just like... We understand. This is what, like, we were talking about this before we went on the air, but the fun thing about this show is it's so tiny. It the is. audience so is only small. on one side of the arena, so there's only one direction they can play to the crowd. Yeah. And you're always on camera. Yeah. And they can hear everything. Oh, that's that you the say. best wrestling thing ever, is when you're close enough to actually be able to yell at people. I now, love it. the disappointing part, because I did um, find the broadcast and was watching just very briefly looking through it. The audio does not pick up as much as you think, being that close. Mm. It like it does, and it picks mm -hmm. up like crowd audio, so but I'm like have individually. To yell really loud yes. Okay. Now I did look at the part <laughs> when I yelled during the um, Aaron Stevens match, and I did hear me faintly coming through when he bends down and I yelled my eyes with his <laughs> with his flesh colored trunks. And I did hear myself. So it's like it is possible. It is possible, okay. but you do have to be pretty loud. Do you For it think, to come over the mics anyway. Now, do you think it picks up louder in the interview corner on the right-hand side? Because the episodes I watched, people Maybe. were a lot more audible. I think when they're interviewing the wrestlers Might and they be. have the mics live, I think that's uh, part of could it. Be. Could Might be. Might be they turn them down a lot during the matches. Yeah. yeah. Which that, is, that would make that's sense. That's fair. But uh, but yeah, that was just that was fun. It was because they come they had entrances for the first time. Normally they don't have entrances because yeah. there's nowhere for an entrance. They just come in like the studio shows would. But here they actually kind of have a little curtain and stuff set up up at the top where you come in and then they come down the stairs with music also for the first time. Yeah. And then kind of have a little entrance for the pay-per-view, which was cool, which was cool to see because they just kind of come down next to you and then into the ring and then you can yell at them from there. Yeah. Um, a lot so of that was pretty cool. A lot of interaction on the steps coming down. I'm curious to see if they keep that going forward or if that's I only doubt a it. I think that's thing. just a pay-per-view yeah. thing. That, that's just a pay-per-view thing, I think. But, uh, 
you know, the matches, I mean, we're not, we're not going to just talk through all the matches. We've been here long enough. Plenty of people can <laughs> know what happened on him. But, uh, but I guess, Harris, what was your favorite part of the show? Well, so the cheap answer is once I realized that Ashley Vox came out, did her angle <laughs> without having to do an entire match where I would just like bury my face in my hands as she was wrestling a match. Because then I could like enjoy the show a little bit more, knowing I wouldn't have to like make eye contact with her at any point the rest of the evening. But that's fair. The on it, like I, I think I'm gonna have to go with the uh, the triple threat, just because Aaron Stevens is just so dang entertaining as he a is, performer. He I'm is really glad they yes, got he him. He's perfect for that kind of show because you need. Yes. They're trying so hard to be this big brawly, like wrestling, you know, big manly man show. Have you noticed how most of them aren't fully shaved? Yeah. I never noticed that. Oh, that's until, absolutely like, intentional. That close. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely intentional. No, from day one, I, I could tell that. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you need goofy characters to offset it a little bit. Like yeah. I, I think comedy wrestling is really important just to, you know, help the audience understand that you're in on the joke, you're in on the show. and Especially when it's done in his way, in that way, correct. where it's not... It's pretentious. In, in quote unquote, it's not hurting the business because he's not... He's just getting beat up and then taking advantage of opportunities. It's not like he's sitting there and doing a cobra on someone. Well, that doesn't bother selling. Then you have question mark who's doing like karate. Chops Are you on kidding people. me? Question mark knows karate. Karate. I'm sorry. Good grief, Harris. Totally different. <laughs> See, like both. Have you seen those chops? They pair. They pair with each other really well. But they I do. like Aaron Stevens is my favorite part just because. It's so much. It's the pretentious heel. The Mongol, the Mongrovian national anthem. That was, was up there. It comes out with a flag. That was my flag. That was my favorite part. Mark. That moment. And then question mark saying the wonderful national anthem, which consists of nothing but grunts. I mean, it was. It was. We beautiful. don't understand Mongrovian. Yeah, we don't understand. They're, to us, you know, he's it's obviously just grunts, singing. But, but, but we stood up and, and saluted the flag like everyone else. I wish they and would. They wonderful. have they have flags from all different countries around the world hung around <laughs> the arena. Even put up that one. I, I really, really would love it. Yeah, I hope it's hanging there that. tonight. I hope so. That would be great. Yeah. But uh, yeah, as far as my favorite part, I love seeing Question Mark wrestle Trevor Murdoch. That was just fun. Yeah. Um, the Rock and Roll Express. Just seeing them actually retain the tag team titles, which not a single person in the world no. thought that was going to happen. No. That was a lot of fun. Um, seeing Ricky Morton fly suicide dive out of the ring was awesome. That was a great moment. Um, that was a lot of fun. Obviously the triple threat match was great Mm -hmm. just for Aaron Stevens. And then Ricky Starks and Colt Cabana are both great as real wrestlers, but who can be funny. Yeah. So it just, it fit perfectly. Yeah, it was a good balance. It worked. It was a perfect pairing of personalities and skill level because they're all three are great wrestlers too. Yeah. So there was everything you could want. Jake, this was a match where match. they were having the triple threat for the the national, the national title, title, which is like you know the mid level title. Mm-hmm. And multiple times, Aaron Stevens would roll out of the ring, crawl over to the commentary desk, hide behind the, Christmas, the Christmas tree, tree, and he had like the skirt you know around the tree, and he would like pull it up over himself and like hide underneath it, so you could only see like his eyes, like it was a blanket. That was wonderful. It was amazing. That I was love great. I love any moment where wrestlers take advantage of airbud rules. <laughs> that nobody told me I couldn't hide under the Christmas tree. It's fair game. It doesn't say anywhere in here that I'm not allowed to do that, that that's gonna keep me from being champion, so I'm gonna do that. Exactly. Yeah. And uh yeah, that that was 
Oh, that was that, that was a lot of fun. So Aaron Stevenson steals the title at the end mm-hmm. and, and gets the mm-hmm. win. So he's the champ. So we get to listen to all that crap even more, which is just going to be insufferable and wonderful at the same time. Exactly. No, I was like, you, you, you boo him. But as soon as he won, I was like, oh, yes, we get a whole taping of this guy <laughs> and as then, champion. And then uh, obviously the main event was great as just the NWA world title. Two out of three falls. I didn't really like the way they did the two out of three falls, to be perfectly honest. How I, I hate it when they do the quick falls right away. Like mm. to me, that just defeats the purpose of it being a two out of that. three falls match. Yeah. It's like it's like with the Royal Rumble. Whenever they get down to four, three or or two are immediately thrown out within right. three minutes. Just to give you the yeah, and then like kind of the ending, like the and then rarely every now and then two guy the final two will actually wrestle, but even then usually it's pretty quick. Like yeah. I would like to see more that type yeah. happened so that i wasn't a huge fan of it just but but even even with that that you know they use camille come out the distraction mm-hmm. get mm-hmm. james storm gets the first fall and stuff but it all that works because it continues the story and everything right. so it still is good like that's all good story wise they both are just great um you know some of the best right now veterans that are going it was a classic title match Bunch of controversy at the end. Mm-hmm. I love the use of the two referees. That added into a whole lot more with Tim Storm. Yeah, that was You know, the ref getting knocked out at the end. Tim Storm having to come in. And then all this taking off the turnbuckle. Mm-hmm. And then so we kind of get a screwy finish. But not like a super screwy finish. Right. But, he, what, basically, but still a screwy so, finish. So it, now James Storm yeah. can complain all the more. Right. And like I know we're not... We're trying not to recap the whole show, but just so Jake knows, like it's a two out of three falls match. Right. They each pick a ref, and yeah. one ref refs each fall for so the first two. They and then for the third refs. fall, they flip a coin to see who re- which of the two refs the third right. fall. And James Storm, if necessary, James right. Storm's whole thing is he's I'm going after this title. The NWA doesn't want me to have it. Like they're conspiring with Nick Aldis to keep me from getting it. You know, classic like fight the power right. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Neither of them are like out and out heels. They're both kind of tweeners at this point, basically. But he's just that's saying, a little like, confusing. It's going to be but... live. There's not going to be anything you can edit out or work around. Like I'm going to come win this title, and you can't screw me out of it. And what happens is, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. The third fall, Eli, uh, sorry, not Eli Drake. <laughs> Nick Aldis's ref wins the coin toss. Correct. Um. No. It's the other guy. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, Brian Hebner is okay, James that's Storm's right, that's ref, right. and Tim Storm was... The challenger's ref wins the coin toss, and then after a few minutes, he gets knocked out. There's shenanigans, like there's a ref bump, he's no. out. Yeah, yes. And then they have to call on the second ref, the backup right. ref, even though he didn't win the coin toss, so this is the champ's ref. And they all say they're going to call it fair and down the line, but it's the champ's ref. I, I kind of wish we had... Like, I wish I had gone back and heard the commentary to hear them talk about that a little more. I think they were trying to—I think they're pushing it. They're, yeah. they're pushing it this way. Like, this is this is a little sketchy. He's not going to like this, whatever happens. And then the champ does his—you know, he hits him. He gets thrown into the turnbuckle. The guy comes charging in after him. He takes it off. He hits his head on the exposed, like, steel turnbuckle of the ring. And then Nick Aldis grabs him, like, hits another move on him, and then locks in his finisher, like a submission. Mm-hmm. And then the ref checks his arm once or twice and says, nope, he's unconscious, he's out, call the fight. And the champ retains. So you can argue, well, yeah, he put him in his submission and that's what, you know, beat him. 
But what I think Stu Bennett was saying on commentary, he's pointing out, no, he cracked his head on the turnbuckle that Nick Aldis took off. He was unconscious before he ever put the submission on. Right. And he got screwed. This guy cheated, and his ref let him get away with it. So there's enough of... They put enough focus on the rules and on telling a coherent story that there is a real blurred line there. It wasn't as blatant as, like, the ref fast counted. Or also, something like James that. Storm went through the Christmas tree. Oh, yeah, because... They were brawling on the outside. And all the and crowd the whole time was like, chanted, use the tree! Use and then the they tree. threw him through the tree. And all of us threw like, him through the tree. And we're like, yes! This is great. So they, like, they're putting a lot of thought into their storylines and into the rules so that it tells an interesting story. And when, like, I imagine what's going to happen on the next few episodes is both of the characters are like, I got screwed. This is not fair because of this or because of that. And they both have that plausible deniability. Right. So I could see that. And then, of course, though, the biggest news... Who comes in at the end when Nick Aldis is giving his kind of final thoughts speech as champion? Marty Skrull. Marty Skrull comes right down. Crowd goes nuts. No one knew he was coming. We all know he's going somewhere. Now, even still, we don't know exactly if this is just a one-shot title thing like the yeah. last one or yeah. if he's going to be here for a while. Who knows? But it's exciting. And now we can see where it goes tonight. I am shocked they were able to get somebody of his caliber. Because I'll be honest, I don't know a ton about him. But this is like this is a member of the Bullet Club. This is like AEW WWE caliber talent. Like he's been at Ring <clears> of <throat> Honor sure. for a while, and everyone said, "Okay, his Ring of Honor contract's up. He's either going straight to NXT or he's going straight to AEW. Like he's too good, right, to be on Ring of Honor anymore. Right. Not only is he not on Ring of Honor anymore, he shows up at NWA, which is a lot of fun, but is very much like a grassroots. Sure. kind of show sure it airs for free on youtube and now this caliber of talent just showed up and challenged the champ i think he's only going to be there like for one set of tapings like, I, I the next so pay-per-view. it's still really cool to see because i was not awesome. i mean it would be like if you know cody Rhodes showed up i mean it's that level so yeah, pretty much that was so yeah it's gonna be awesome so tonight's tapings i'll be honest got a lot more interesting with, it does with oh a yeah a couple of those things that happened last night yeah it definitely did sorry we rambled on for long enough. Yeah, we did. I think. This had been plenty long enough. We yeah. talked about Mob Town for too long. That was the problem. I might cut some of that down. We'll see. That's probably for the best. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for listening to the podcast. This has been Behind the Gorilla. Um, thanks a lot to Jake joining us on the show. It's and, my uh, pleasure. Yeah, it was nice to have you for sure. We'll have to have you on again. And um, yeah, make sure and follow us on Twitter at Behind underscore Gorilla. That's where we tweet out all the podcast information, all the links whatever we're doing. Um, I feel like, well, we won't be tweeting about NWA because we're not going to spoil, we're not going to be those people. The first taping isn't till January 24th. or, Wait, or like really? January something. It's going to be in a few weeks. Oh, wow. The next thing, I'm pretty sure. Wow. I'm pretty sure it's not going to be on. Now, I, I could be wrong, but that's just what I thought. I thought I saw that somewhere. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're not going to spoil this stuff. You know we're there. So, follow us on Twitter there. Um, we follow back wrestling fans. You can follow me on Twitter at Mark Markbrand. I'm at Harris Wilson. I'm at Jake underscore Glover. So follow um, all of us as well. And um, yeah, that's about that's about all I have. Any final thoughts, Harris? Uh, Ashley Box, I'm sorry. Ashley Box, I'm sorry that my friend is an idiot. All right. I deserve that. David Arquette, please give us a screener of your documentary so that we can see it before everyone else and get everyone else to watch it. We'll hype that movie up so We much, are going man. to no. hype it up so, so much. That's another thing we forgot to mention. The documentary is actually coming out 
David, which we've known that for a while. We know that I know they finished it a while ago. There's a whole thing. But now it's going to be a thing. It's got a title. You cannot kill David Arquette. Even more perfect. What we use for our David Arquette intro. Um, awesome song there. And uh, yeah, so I can't wait for that. All right. On that note, that does it for the show. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. I'm Mark. I'm Harris. I'm Jake. Talk to you guys next week.